This is the Outrage Machine. In this series, we'll be unpacking some of the most difficult issues of our time. So much of our discourse has broken down. And been replaced by mob rule. your job to be taken from you. The abandonment of science and reason has led to unimaginable suffering. GMO's gotta go! is the first step. The good thing about science is that it's true whether or not you believe in it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Outrage Machine. I'm Matt, and today we have Rio here. Rio, how you been, man? This is our I'm first good, conversation, thanks. but like we've, yeah, no, I'm really glad to hear. So, this is our first conversation. I mean, I've known you. I mean, I, I've known Jenner, and Jenner knows you, and that's how we connected. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Where you're from? What do you do for a living? Uh, what got you into this whole you know, shindig with the left and just uh, outrage politics? Uh, boy, that's a lot of questions. You want to maybe ask me one at a time? <laughs> I'll take it. All right. Where are you from? <laughs> uh, California, mainly. Grew up up and down the West Coast, but mostly like uh, Southern uh, Oregon to Southern California area. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. No, I, I actually uh, lived in Berkeley for a summer and I loved it. It was um, just people there are, are just uh, like, they're, like they're from another country. You know what I mean? Just uh it's, yeah. it's so laid back and just so gorgeous. But that that's awesome, man. And uh, you're in L.A. now, I think? Uh, no, I'm actually currently visiting family in uh, La Jolla, which is a beach suburb of San Diego. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. I was born there. <laughs> you seen the shipyard in, or, at all or, or the fleet when you're down there? Yeah, yeah. Not not this visit, but I've seen it before. Nice. How, how big is that, by the way? Because that's like... I think next only to Norfolk. That's like the biggest fleet in the U.S., right? I'm not sure. I understand it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I gotcha. No, but that's that's cool. That's awesome. So La Jolla also has a very nice aquarium. <laughs> if you like to see the fishes, uh, Scripps Aquarium, water round. It's very nice. <laughs> no, well, I'll have to I'll have to check that out. But um, 
And so, gonna, all right, so you're in Cali. What are you going to do? Gonna, do uh, you going to talk show hosts or? Uh, well, I'm, I'm doing the podcasting thing mainly as a hobby. Um, mm. My day job right now is I'm the vice president of a nonprofit. Uh, oh, wow. But that's the first the first job I ever took working for another person. I mainly did that because I believe in the cause. Um, before that, I, I um, kind of ran the family business. Um, we were in uh, golf. Oh, nice. Oh wow! All right, cool, man. No, d- well, yeah. Tell me, Han. Tell me a bit more about this nonprofit. Like, I I always admire someone who who d- works in nonprofit just because. Well, it's... I I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm trying to kind of keep my political and nonprofit life separate, as you could imagine. For sure, uh, I got gotcha. you. Work in the um not, um the LGBT field um <laughs> means that you know there are a lot of people who believe that if you're not a full on you know Marxist that then you're not a real ally of LGBT people. So I try I try not to cross those hairs too much. Yeah, I got, I totally, totally understand that. And I, I think we've really seen that lately as an issue in the political field, that if you are a certain way, like you're a certain race or a certain gender or a certain sexual orientation, and you're not, you don't have a political leaning, then you're just, that. then you're not that, that thing. You know what I mean? It's like you're not really gay or you're not really black or you're not really this is something i've been seeing lately and it's just been annoying the shit out of me with all all this insanity going on in politics today and it's just just yeah that might be kind of the core of the outrage machine huh it's this black and white way of thinking where it's like you're either with us or against us there's only two sides and if you deviate from the dogma even a little bit in one way then you're automatically a total evil enemy of the people and that applies to the yeah. alt-right as much as it does to the far left, as far as I'm concerned. They're equally dogmatic. Yes. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think I will say, and I, to just to give a little background about my political leanings, I'm a moderate independent. I've, I've been my whole life. There are aspects of the right, aspects of the left that I love and I follow. It's interesting because a friend of mine said that you're like an extreme moderate because like every position I have, I'm like extreme in some way, but I'm still like very... I try to like listen to both sides, and I try to like see what's option number three, if possible, if it ever exists. A radical but... centrist. Yeah. Radical centrism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah. No. Uh, it's... Yeah, I think that pretty well describes pretty much all three of us at this point, right. politically. No, but it's yeah, but I know exactly what you mean because especially, and I find it interesting because I, I see this issue more in the left, where. Like, I look at Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan is overwhelmingly liberal. But the only views he has that are not liberal is the fact that he believes in real liberalism, a.k.a. he has conversations with virtually anyone, and he's pro-Second Amendment. But that's really it. And it's like, people on the left consider him an alt-right, you know, fascist pig pighead. And it's like, if you don't agree with people 100% of the time, it's just like they're automatically alt-right or alt-right of center. And it is the most obnoxious, cringeworthy bullshit I see in our society today. And I think it's a real failure of the moderates to hold this country together or to at least have some representation more. And then, you know, on the right, I see, you know, them constantly complain that there's not enough diversity of thought in places like Hollywood and just college campuses. But then when you go to Washington, and you're a rhino it's like you'll get completely shit on so i I see that hypocrisy too and it's it's very frustrating to me but 
Yeah, no, they're both completely hostile to free speech and completely hostile to diversity of thought. Absolutely. I mean, something else to keep in mind, too, is that if you get to the real left, um, like the real actual left, um, they're deeply illiberal, right? So their, yes. their problem with Joe Rogan isn't just that isn't just that he is pro-Second Amendment, which arguably is where a classic liberal ought to be on that mm. issue, frankly. Um, but no, it's that, it's that he's liberal. They don't like that he's liberal. Right. No, and I think that this is one thing that I'm very concerned about with the Democratic Party right now is that, so, you know the whole background of postmodernism, critical race theory, political correctness, and all this microaggressions and all this insane bullshit that overtook the college campuses. And recently, mainly with George Floyd's death, it's basically just gotten into the real world. Like, the lab experiment has literally just gotten out and it's infected everything. Now, I think it's cooled down a little bit lately, but it's still like an ideological virus that's just taken over. And what I'm really concerned about is that it's starting to overtake the Democratic Party. Like, you know how the Republicans were overtaken by conservatives in the 80s and recently this populist movement with Donald Trump? Well, the populist movement with Donald Trump, sure. I don't know what you mean by taken over by conservatives in the 80s. Like the Reagan, Reagan's time sort of deal. Like, it, it overwhelmingly was moderate before Reagan came in, but then in the 80s, like conservatives just basically overtook the whole oh yeah i have a slightly different view on that i think Mm -hmm. that both Mm -hmm. parties moved right around that period and it was because of opposition to the soviet union mainly fair okay the collapse of the soviet union um i mean i consider myself right of center uh Mm -hmm. so if the republicans would go back to being neoliberal and neoconservative i would appreciate that yeah well that's and that's what i'm hoping for but what I'm really concerned about right now is that the Democrats still have a good moderate presence. I would even say that the majority of them are moderates, but I'm afraid they are going – they're slowly, but in recent recently, more accelerated way getting overtaken by the left. And I wouldn't mind that as much if it wasn't the woke left because the woke left is wildly illiberal. And it's like when you have two parties that are completely opposites with no moderates at all. I just I think that's a recipe for disaster. And so I I personally agree with you. Like my old man was a moderate Republican. And like, I think he is the classic example of like a Yankee working class Republican. And I mean, he he opposed the he I think he hates the party right now, but he's like a true original Eisenhower Republican. And I'm kind of hoping that there's a resurgence of that. But I just don't know what what will make it happen. You know, what I mean. Yeah, no, this is my major political interest, too, is speculating about the future of the parties and what the best way of getting them to where we want them to be is. Um, yeah, there's a lot of terms that you brought up there that I think we might need to break down a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, for for example, um, you said that the woke left is illiberal. I personally think that the left is all every, every form of the left is illiberal, right? Because, like, you know, for like t- if you take out all the wokeism. Um, socialism is opposed to capitalism, which is an essential ingredient of liberalism, right? And so I just don't, I think that liberal leftist is an oxymoron. Would you agree with that? It, that's, that's actually an interesting way of looking at that. I never, never really thought about it. Like I've been thinking of, now I think it's important to almost now, now more than ever to distinguish leftism from liberalism and conservatives have kind of started to do this, but Liberalism was, in the way I saw it, 
essentially it was a more open-minded version where you know you could still believe in high taxes and uh, pro-choice and you know limitations on gun rights but you were really for free speech like that was the core tenet of the left and the new left and leftism is more of this authoritarian like we're gonna you know cancel you if you say if you put up a wrong tweet 10 years ago kind of deal so i'm not really sure i, I think i agree with what you're saying but it, yeah that's actually I, i'd be down down to break that up well yeah i mean part more. of the problem is that left and right is really just a an arbitrary metaphor you know what i mean like you can yes. switch it you know <laughs> so I, I think it's <laughs> i think it's helpful to speak more specifically and just say you know like i i'm in favor of of classic liberalism i oppose yes socialism i'm willing to compromise a little bit with social liberals which you know social liberalism is right. kind of what we think of as left in the u.s um, and it is kind of left, right? Because it's like mm -hmm. okay, we're willing to compromise a little with the socialists, even if it's just to de-radicalize them. Um, you know, I'm willing to compromise a little bit with social liberals, but my preference would be pure liberalism, which, which is quite right wing, and and in fact puts me to the right of Donald Trump, and 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 puts Joe Biden to the right of Donald Trump on issues like trade and foreign policy, even mm -hmm. if Biden is to the left of Trump on issues like healthcare. Right. Right. I mean, how would you compare? what you see as liberalism to libertarianism um well the libertarian party um is fairly classically liberal mm -hmm. i think that um my problem with it though is that it's a wasted vote because it is not a viable contender in real right. life um if it had a chance of winning then you know i would vote for it but it doesn't then there's I also the problem of uh, you know people can be ideological purists on the right too. And they say like, yes. well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to settle for anything short of gutting the entire safety net overnight. And it's like, dude, you realize like even most Republican voters don't want that, right? You're not right. going to get that. You know, it, like, you have to take the wins where you can get them. No, exactly. And I think that's arguably one of the reasons that libertarians have did not become mainstream when they were introduced in like, I think it was the seventies or eighties was that, when you look at both parties, liber or like all three of the quote unquote major parties, libertarians are the most ideologically consistent. And I say that in terms of, you know, you have Democrats who want you to be free with your social, you know, for you socially, but not financially. And then Republicans are the exact opposite. They want a society with structure where the government will, you know, prevent things like abortion and, you know, they'll have they'll block you socially but they want you to be free with your money and libertarians i've always seen is like that hybrid where it is truly the consistency of they just want the government out of your way and i yeah, think I mean, that's what we think of what we think of as socially progressive is actually more of a natural more naturally compatible with mm. what we've been told is um fiscally conservative yes uh, you know so it, it's all based on a false dichotomy um but yeah. part of the problem though is that you know the, as i said the libertarian party is a um, a small third party that has really in practice has no better chance of winning than the green party. Um, yeah, and, and, and so of course it's easy for it to be ideologically pure because it doesn't have to worry about actually winning. Right. When you, nope. when you have to worry about winning, you need to build a coalition with 50% or more of the voters. And when you do that, you have to compromise on some stuff. Precisely. And that's, that's why I was uh, getting to with, because they're the most ideologically consistent, they're also the most rigid. Like they, they just want people to be free, but the fact is they won't accept the fact that 
most Americans want some level of government in their lives, and they, or even an ex, like a heavy extent of government, even if they don't realize it. And I don't think that Republicans ever will accept that, or sorry, libertarians will ever really accept that fact or understand it. And that I think uh, on top of that, they just don't like. I don't think they want power, which is one of the main reasons they really, because they don't like big government power. So it kind of screws them automatically because they're not going to go into office like demanding different kinds of reforms that they want because they they'll see that yeah, as. And you got to the the heart of the problem with anarchism as well, right? Mm. So you have anarcho communists and anarcho capitalists. Um, they both have these very uh, ideological ideologically driven approaches to politics that are hostile to the status quo. Um, But by definition, they're not actually ever going to achieve any of the things they want to do because they aren't willing to actually do what it takes in order to take the power that it takes to do what they want to do because they're opposed to power. See, I'm, I'm, I'm a proper right winger. I believe in power. I believe that social hierarchies, um, socioeconomic hierarchies are uh, natural, inevitable and good for society. Um, so I, I, I just reject that. I think that we should have power and that we should make sure the right people are in power. Well said. Well, well said. You know, I want to shift this conversation a little bit to talk about the culture war because you, you kind of just hit on some terms with anarcho-communism and, and such. I, I've been thinking about the, the culture war a lot lately, particularly, I mean, over, really over the last four years since Donald Trump won. And, you know, I got into this kind of in 2010 when I... I went to college 2010 and, uh, you know, I, I was just like, I, I, it wasn't like in my the front of my mind, but I just noticed everything was being pussified in the United States and really at the college campuses. And But it wasn't a complete takeover of the universities. Then as time went on, it just got worse and worse until, you know, I graduated 2015 and then Donald Trump won in 2016 and I just saw this whole thing take off. And I was thinking to myself, how the fuck did this happen? And it really came down to, you know, I, I listened to so many people, particularly liberals, like real liberals, and they're like, this was our fault. This was the left's fault because it constantly pushed through this bullshit, like political correctness. And, you know, Bill Maher is one of the liberals I, I've come to love because he's harped on and shit on the left so much about this because he knows it was part of the problem. But, you know, political correctness, microaggressions, safe spaces, uh, really this postmodernist and critical race theory and critical gender theory. But here, here's the question. I, I've like, I've been trying to figure this out. So when we, when we thought of this new culture war, I think most people and most people still do think that it's really another left versus right culture war. But I don't see that as the case this time. I think that because a lot of the people like us and, you know, a lot of people who are you know, regular liberals and regular conservatives will come together and have conversations. And I think that the sides are classical liberalism and something else. Now, I don't know what, how to sum up that something else, because I think it includes everything I've been saying, but I can't think of a good word for it or a good term from it. And I was curious what you might be able to, if you might have an idea for it. Well, I've I've noticed that um, far leftists hate, the horseshoe theory until they have to defend the alt-right as being right wing. Mm. 
And then all of a sudden they love the horseshoe theory, right? Define the the horseshoe theory. Horseshoe theory is basically, it's this idea that, you know, you have liberalism in the center and then on the left of, of, of the horseshoe, you have uh, so the you know if you look at at like like an actual horseshoe right the top yeah, center yeah, yeah. of the horseshoe would be liberalism the bottom left point would be communism and the bottom right point would be fascism um, and and under normal circumstances leftists hate that because the implication of that is that if you go too far to either extreme you kind of wind up in the same place mm. Um, mm. but mm. but whenever I point out that the alt right is deeply radical which is the real opposite of conservative the opposite of conservative is not progressive it's radical the alt-right is radical they say oh yeah but it's still right wing it's just you know the horseshoe and and so you know they they like the theory when it serves their purposes and don't like it when it doesn't so what what i would call that thing and you're right that is what it is it's liberalism (laughs) versus illiberalism there's a word for it illiberalism i I, all right i think then that's that's what this is it is Classical liberalism, aka liberalism, versus illiberalism. Or, I mean, I, I like to think of it as anar- anarcho or anarchism, anarchism maybe. But that's so illiberalism is the term you would sum it up as. Yeah, anarchism is one form of illiberalism. Communism is another form of illiberalism. Fascism is another form of illiberalism. Yeah. What they have in common is that they're all against liberalism. Yeah. No. Well, it's also the breakdown of society. You know, it was interesting because. I was listening, I, I listened to a lot of, you know, the ideas behind this and like this concept of equity. Equity is so wrong for so many reasons, but it seems so right, right off the bat because of its language. I mean, you think equity and you think, oh, wow, it's it's equality or it's making up for something. And it's it's not. It's like equity is essentially we're going to oppress one group to help another group, even if it's it's like literally the definition of the road to hell is paid with good intentions and it is but i i look at you know in your state of california you guys had this bill outstanding and i don't know what i i think uh, jenner and i determined that it was voted down thank god but all the branches of in the california government approved it and then it had to go to um to the senate or to sorry to the people where essentially it said we're going to give black and Latino businesses a leg up in terms of the government's going to hire them first for things over white and Asian, any other ethnic group, because they're they're not like working as much or they're not succeeding as much. And that's equity. And we've seen this kind of concept in places like Harvard and the universities where you have an affirmative action laws that essentially say, we're not going to hire, we're not going to let you in because you're Asian so we can help out, you know, people of different ethnic groups and it's yeah, like you know what that is systemic racism that yeah reverse racism thank you well, i mean it is reverse racism. it's just it's just racism right no, yeah it's just a literal racism no well it's not that's, even like yeah and that's the thing i i've been like do you actually know if that bill passed or not uh, if it was on the i don't think that this was recent because i i voted on all the the um bills yeah, had, and I, I don't remember seeing it Okay, no, I'd be interested because I remember it was, it was really funny to look. I looked it up on Wikipedia just to see it, and I, I listened to you know a few podcasts and videos about it. It was funny because when you looked at all the groups there for it, it was like all the university like groups, like the you know the the gender bender activists and the, the you know the racial like equality groups. But then when you looked at the groups against it, overwhelmingly Asian, overwhelmingly Asian because 
and I, I hate playing identity politics. I think it's toxic and bad, but I, I always have to play it in this case. When you look at Asian Americans compared to every other ethnic group in the country, they win out all the time. When you give them an equal footing, they will always win out in business, in education, and just like just because culturally they're they're such hard workers. And they were a vigorously opposed to this bill because it was it, it was literally equity coming to the doorstep of politics. And so I don't know if it was voted down or not, but I, I pray it was because yeah, and, and you're right to call it neo-Marxism, because what makes it neo-Marxist is it's essentially applying the concept of the seizing of uh, private capital and they're applying it to cultural capital. Yes. They're saying that you, that the government has a role to play in redistributing cultural capital or even destroying the concept of cultural capital um, and, and the, you know, kind of, quote, leveling the playing field. It's from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And mm. the first thing to notice about that is you're only meeting people's basic needs, which is an incredibly low standard of living that we should not want to subject anybody to. That is not something to aspire to. That is something to to um, you should consider yourself a failure as a society if all you can do is meet people's basic needs. Right. But then the and next thing to notice about it too is from each according to their ability means that you're basically making the you know more successful people in society slaves to everybody else because they're the ones who are doing all the productivity. And that this was, I think, the, the real collapse of, or I mean, I, there were a ton of reasons behind the collapse, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the failure of communism. But a, you had to have someone in charge. But b you you essentially gave disincentives for people who like to work to work, and then really people who didn't like to work to begin with, you gave them even more incentives not to work because they were going to get their the basic needs that they only cared about that they needed. It's like, yeah, exactly. And these are the problems with the with the current social liberal system we already have. So when you were talking about classic liberalism, and then you said, you know, liberalism, that's true, right? But in, in colloquial American English, what happens is there was this compromise between socialism and liberalism called mm -hmm. social liberalism. And that gave us, you know, the 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 tax and spend nanny state that we have today, right? <laughs> um, and then they dropped they dropped the the word social from it and just started calling that liberalism as if, mm -hmm. you know, as if that's what liberalism always was. No, that is that is liberalism minus some liberalism plus some socialism. Right. No, and that's it's interesting to hear you you talk about social liberalism because I always think of like social liberalism as you know you're you're for a woman having pro you know protecting her own body. You, um, you in terms of everything but money, you want people to be free, but then. When you're fiscally conservative, that's when you want people to be free with their money. So it's kind of like... I mean, it kind of applies, though, in this case, though, because the form of social liberalism that we ended up taking essentially was that, right? It was, yeah. we're going to compromise on all of these economic issues and not on the social issues. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm fine with compromising with the other side a little bit. I just yeah. think that we shouldn't let them get away with pretending that they're the new normal. Like, liberalism is still liberalism, and that is not liberalism. Right. No, and I think that that's, that's so essential because another thing I've been seeing uh, with all of this insanity that's been going on is the domination of language. You know, I watched a very – I don't know if you watch Vox. Uh, I mean, I don't agree with everything on, with Vox, but I still think that they have very good – Content I on, started you know, tuning it out after they uh, their editor in chief like uh, was deeply uh, maligning Sam Harris. 
Yeah, Jesus Christ, fucking, ugh, I, lo I love Sam, I hate when people, that's another thing, another example of the left eating itself, and I'm gonna get back to that, but I just wanna get this one thought out, there was a great episode of Vox Borders on Hong Kong, and essentially, it talked about how Hong Kong is still a part of China, but it's not a part of China, because it, like, China essentially let it, you know, there was a treaty between the UK and China to let Hong Kong be its own thing until 2047, and, you know, they, Hong Kong let it be its own thing, or China let it be its own thing just because they were the, an economic center in the country. But since China's boom, they've, you know, become kind of irrelevant. China wants to speed up the process to, like, fully incorporate them. And so they're really trying to make measure, take measures to, like, dominate the people in Hong Kong. And there was an interesting thing a woman said uh, who was being interviewed where it was... If you want to kill a city, and this is a woman in, in Hong Kong, you kill their language first. And that was that really stuck with me because in Hong Kong they speak Cantonese, not Mandarin. And so they're starting to the the Chinese government is trying is starting to change the language or to Mandarin to like force it down, you know, people in Hong the, the throats of people in Hong Kong. And I'm seeing that he, here now with all these activists saying things like silence is violence, speech is violence, voting for Trump is violence, whiteness is violence, but burning down a, a store is not violence. It's like the it is the domination of language. I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I mean, I, I think you're on a roll there. I, I, I think you're right. Um, so it sounds like we kind of agree about the state of the Republican party right now, which is that yep. it's taken this populist illiberal turn. Um, it's embraced some protectionist trade and isolationist foreign policies that mm. prior to Trump coming into power were really characteristic of people who were significantly to the left of the democratic party. So we're talking yeah. radical left. Um, and, 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 you know, so I think we're in the middle of a realignment. I'm, I'm hoping that Trump losing means that the GOP will have a come to Jesus movement and figure out a way to recenter on its classically conservative slash liberal values. Um, but you know, we'll see. Um, as far as the democratic party, maybe we should talk about that a little bit more because sure. we both agree that this radical far left is a problem. Um, and mm. I'm, I'm starting to develop some opinions about how much of a problem it is in the democratic party. Um, I, I think we would both agree that the democratic party should prevent them having any more power than they have. So yeah. I guess let's start with that. Like how, how much power do you really think they have? And then how, how likely do you think it is that they'll have more and why or why not? So it's a tough, it's really tough to answer that for a few reasons, but I think that people, well, I look at AOC, or, you know, let's actually uh, switch to, to to another vote that had happened. Uh, Joe Candy third. Uh, I'm in Massachusetts, and it was Joe, Joe Candy was running against Ed Markey. Okay, Joe Candy third. I met him, great guy, was considered a, you know, moderate Democrat. And he ran against Ed Markey, who is not a moderate Democrat, and he lost. And that ended 50 years of the Kennedys, you know, being in power. And if you look at examples like that, like, you know, people are preferring the the hyper, you know, progressive, aka woke candidates over, and Ed Markey is not woke, granted, but, you know, like, AOC and the, the three, you know, other members of the, the squad, I guess, over the moderates, because I think they see something enticing about them, like, 
oh, this is real. You know, it, it, it's like appealing to the, you know, the, the identity politics that the left really likes. And also just like that, it, you know, the real change, because people like change, especially when it's like in quote unquote, the right direction. And to answer your question, so right now I'm not sure because it's, I, I want to say that this is a, a smaller problem than it appears to be, but I look at a candidate like Kamala Harris. I'm terrified that if Joe Biden like croaks in the middle of his candidacy or he um you know, he just decides to leave or only does one term, Kamala's gonna take over and she is the definition of all of this bullshit with the Democratic Party. And I'm afraid that that's gonna lead more and more progressives to come on in. And right now I think so getting back to your question, I think it's slow, but it is happening, especially when you look at Gallup polls and you, you see how many people identify as being conservative, moderate, or liberal. In the Democratic Party, the number of liberals have been skyrocketing in the last few years. And that's a very – like 42% of the party right now is liberal. Now, whether that's this woke liberalism that everyone hates or you know the regular nice liberalism like a Bill Maher then you know that's to be determined but i am i'm not sure yet because and i i think it's really going to come down to the next few years and this is what i i think we're going to really have to watch out for with biden is will biden be a trojan horse for all of this insanity mm. and not you know he might not believe in it but people might take advantage of him in his party and get more of this shit through or is it going to be you know, we're going to maintain a status quo with trying to work with the other side and try to get things done. I think that's what's going to really be the deciding factor for the Democratic Party right now. I'm afraid that it's going to keep going more and more to the left because there's this concept in psychology. I, I always remember this from a his, history textbook, but I always forget the name of it. People will start in the middle of an issue. Like they'll, when an issue arises brand new, people will always start in the middle. But then over time, they'll go to one side or the other, like just little bit by bit by bit until it's like you have no one left in the center and everyone's on one side or the other and they both hate each other. That's what I'm afraid is happening right now in politics. And I'm afraid that the Democrats are starting to embrace that one-sided politics more than anything. But I guess we're just going to have to honestly wait and see. What, what do you think? Mm. I, I have thoughts, but you, you know, I'm, I, th th this episode is all about you guys. <laughs> I did want, I just, I, cause I've been making notes. This is a delicious conversation, by the way. <laughs> but um, I, I wanted, I wanted to, to take a moment to just push on this uh, particular squishy bit of um, this idea that, you know, the whole time Trump has been in office, everybody's been having to like, you know, they're up at night worried about what the president is tweeting and everybody's kind of celebrating the Biden victory, like, oh, yes, no, we want Sleepy Joe. We want oh, to be able fuck. to sleep at night. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, OK, well, there is still room to be concerned that, you know, Secret Service is going to find him on the White House lawn at three o'clock in the morning looking for squirrels or whatever. And he kind of like maybe doesn't have all his marbles and isn't like fully up to speed on how dangerous some of these really innocuous sounding you know, ideas are, especially if they're being framed as like, oh, yes, uh, Grandpa Joe, this is this is the uh, politically woke, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, position on, you know, race or gender or sex or, or whatever. I do worry about 
I worry quite a bit, actually, because that's never a concern I had when Trump was in office. Yeah, that we would get these kind of like, you know, torches and pitchforky type. We're going to cancel you for a, you know, 12 year old joke on Twitter that was mildly insensitive to somebody we think is marginalized. I do. I do worry about, you know, the the kind of encroachingness because it seems so innocuous. That's what makes it so dangerous is because yeah. it seems morally righteous for people to, you know, speak up for, you know, marginalized communities. And it is really like I'm I'm going to call this the fucking like Salvation Army paradox or not paradox paradigm. Is that the word I was looking for? Because like Salvation Army, they're like, yes, we're going to, you know. Uh, feed people at Christmas and no oh, jingle jangle with our little bells and we're so yeah. merry but they're like wildly homophobic and they're like no 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 we're not gonna like allow you to stay in our shelters if you're gay or whatever it's the same kind of uh thing I, I started to get on a roll there I just imagined I, I just gave myself the hugest giggle of imagining the Secret Service finding Biden on the White House lawn at like three in the morning looking for bunny rabbits and they're like sir um do you want to come back inside he's like I found I'm just about found I'm hunting rabbits you know I, I don't think it's gonna be that bad for Biden I mean I, I will um, say and it's I like I, I, I don't think it's for fun I know I know but it's like I will say, though, you did have one point there, Jenner, with one kind of problem with the Dems right now, and I shouldn't call it a problem because sometimes it can be a very, very good thing, but other times it can be a really, really bad thing, is Democrats have this tendency that when they hear wrong, their knee-jerk reaction is to correct it. And this is really with issues of social justice. And if they hear a group is marginalized, they're immediately going to say, okay, let's do this to correct it. And whether you're a moderate or a liberal Democrat, that usually happens. So, uh, the Jenner, I, I want to hear your opinion on all of this because that's <laughs> awfully quiet over there. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just. Oh, you're muted, by the way. Oh, uh, am I'm, am I not back? I no, no, Gen- Rio. Rio. Oh, you yeah. said Jenner. <laughs> this oh, is no, no, sorry. I was, I was correcting it. I was, I was <laughs> trying right, to Jenner, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jenner's going to have to cut that out anyway, so I think this seems like a good time to take a second. I'm going to go grab myself another cup of coffee. I'm falling asleep. I finished my mimosa. I think I need some caffeine. Hold on. Good man. All right. Oh, boy. Okay, well, I, I queued up the soundboard. Let's take a quick moment to remind everybody how cool Mindwave is. <laughs> you just need a little spark of magic. Jenner, what the fuck is that? <laughs> What the fuck is this? This sounds so sketchy. You don't know fucking Cupid me? No, uh, a Cupid yeah. me? What? Oh, man. Did you do it, Cupid me? I hit him with my love arrow, and then I peed in his mouth just for fun. <laughs> All right, I'm back. South Park? That's so sweet. <laughs> did, did you guys see the fucking South Park <laughs> pandemic special? No, uh, I didn't know. Uh, uh, I, I did. I was oh. being Cupid me, shooting you guys with love arrows and making you kiss. That that uh, sounded like that it, did, did not sound. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that was. But I need to catch wrong. up on South Park. I haven't seen it in a little while. <laughs> no, you, you don't have to catch up on it. You just have to watch the pandemic special. The pandemic special was so spot on and so fucking hilarious. It just like, oh god, I can't even. It was the best in years. But I, I do want to hear your opinion on this, Rio, because it, it, it's a. Uh, Get, get you back in here. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, okay, so no, I don't think that Biden is that far gone. Uh, but I, I think that um, there is some concern about Kamala Harris. She definitely does pander yes. on some of the um, social wedge issues in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Um, mm. But, you know, that stuff actually honestly bothers me less than the economic radical left. Um, and those people hate Kamala Harris with a burning passion because she's an evil corporate sellout um, establishment, Democrat capitalist shill uh, who put innocent people in jail, blah, 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 because, you know, she was a prosecutor and all prosecutors are evil because all criminality should be forgiven because, you know, uh, metaphysical free will doesn't exist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those people hate her. um, And anybody who hates anybody who's hated that much by those people gets a few points in in my opinion. (laughs) Honestly, you know, this is, it's interesting you brought that up. Let's talk about, how she was picked because first for starters i despise identity politics with a passion sometimes i do use it granted like in earlier when i brought up the you know i'm gonna gonna pop in here for a second and tell you yeah i think you're being too hard on yourself i don't think you were using identity politics there you were pointing out one of the downsides of other people using identity politics that when you you know when you make a decision about who to allow into your school based on their skin color that that is uh that that is identity politics and that it's harming Asian people. That's not you playing identity politics. It's you criticizing identity yeah. politics. I appreciate and that, and I, I've never looked at it too. like that. Yeah, no, no. All right, good. No, I I definitely appreciate that. But it's like, I, I yeah, no. I, I, I thank you. Yeah, very you'd much. be playing identity politics if you were like, well, all I care about is that I'm an Asian and I want to have an advantage, right? But that's not what you're doing. You're saying like, right. hey, look, you know, like let's just be. You're gonna lose the and, Asian vote. If you, you do <laughs> no, such and such. You're going to lose the oppression. Olymp- let's 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 just rewind about you're going to lose the oppression Olympics if you're trying <laughs> to say, I mean, and, and this always this always fucking comes back to Charles Murray's research on race and IQ. This always comes back because they're like, oh, my God, this is so horrible. The data that this guy discovered says that white people are smarter than black people and everybody's up in arms. Oh, no. Oh, this is horrible. He's a Nazi. Burn him. Uh, but the same data also says that Asians are like way smarter than white people. But Nobody talks about that part. We're not allowed to talk well, about on that on part. average, you know, like you uh, know, yes, yeah, on average. Talking. I I, exactly. I I like to think of myself as significantly higher than all the lot, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I have I have very high uh, uh, self image of, of my intelligence as well as compared to the. Although to be honest, uh, the uh, two smartest <laughs> people I know are my wife and her mom, who are both Asian, and they're definitely both smarter than me. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> that, that, you know. It's Asians are super smart, you know, and and this is this 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 whole kind of a weird, you know, paradox of tolerance kind of, you know, getting into that thing is stereotypes are harmful. I'm like, oh, their stereotype is that they're super industrious and smart and better at like making cool robots and stuff. Like, oh, what a horrible! I know. Thing and when Andrew about. Yang jokes about that, he's being racist <laughs> oh against God. Asian people oh somehow. Do <laughs> you remember? Actually, it's a good stereotype to have. Uh, I welcome that it's, one. It's an awesome oh. stereotype to have. A uh, small penis, not like a great. I mean that that stereotype is is oh so small, so, oh it's a large American penis. Hey, I don't know. Some uh, of us prefers I, prefer bottoms with smaller penises. Uh, well, it's uh, well, <laughs> I I didn't know how how deep you wanted to get into human nature territory, but I know you like them little twinkie, the, them little twinkie, boys, them little twinkie. <laughs> the more like boys. a girl they are, the better. <laughs> 
Oh my god! <laughs> Except for me, because you like me for whatever reason, be beyond understanding. Now that's just because I'm a sepiosexual. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I I got like a massive brainer for you, bro. <laughs> like my oh. just, my brain is throbbing <laughs> with excitement. <Jesus>. Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Matt, take us back down to sanity. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What was it? All right, so there was. Oh, I was going off on something. Oh yeah, let's talk about how. Democrats picked their candidate or their their VP this time because I, I was just like I was thinking to myself I do blame Bernie Sanders for this because he was like I'm gonna pick a woman of color to be my VP and so Biden literally just that's the only reason he did it I will bet you any amount of money that is the key reason he did it was just so he could you know appeal to everyone and say okay I I did this because you know it, or Blah blah blah. Well, but he, he said he was going to pick a woman. He didn't say he was going to pick a person of color. But nobody was no, surprised. No, no, there. no. I, I think he, I think he did. Be, well, I thought he did because of the debate between him and Bernie. Like he said, okay, I'm going to pick a woman of color. In any case, I, I just look at this and I think to myself, this is something. And I've talked with a lot of my Democrat friends about who are like the reasonable, like you know, even the liberal Democrats who are like just very reasonable and wholesome. This identity politics scourge has just like invaded the party where we are emphasizing these things that should not fucking matter. We're emphasizing these things instead of letting them come naturally that just should not be like we should be emphasizing things based on individual characteristics, not what, you know, whether you have a pussy or a, or a cock or, you know, the color of your skin. It's like this goes back to this idea of reverse racism. It's like why should this matter i mean why it's like you're representing things in a way i think that it's well i've said this before it's reverse racism i think that you if you just pick someone to appeal to the crowd then you're not really believing in diversity you're just kind of you're just fucking virtue signaling yeah no, and, i think you summed it up there I, I i think that it was a political choice i don't think it's because biden actually buys into identity politics himself i think it's because he knows I think it's because he knows that some significant portion of the Democratic Party electorate does. That's why. Yes. He did it. Well, well, it was a, it was a political it was a political choice. And you know, to be fair, it's always a political choice who you choose as your vice president. You know, if you do Probably, well in yeah. the North but not the South, then you want to pick someone from the South. You know, that's just the way the ball game mm. is played. No, well, well said. And you know, I, I personally, I wish he had gone with Susan Rice because I think Susan Rice actually, I do do believe she would have been great. Or Tulsi Gabbard, even though Tulsi Gabbard like bombed. In during the election, I think she would have been perfect to bring more people on the right because Tulsi has a great tendency to like talk with people on the right. Like I, she'll go onto Joe Rogan's podcast, she'll go onto Dave Rubin's podcast, she'll talk with libertarians and conservatives. I mean, she talked with uh, Al Assad. I mean, yeah. I don't... By the way, that's actually one area where I do disagree with the Libertarian Party um, rather often. You mm. sometimes take. Um, you know, their small government approach uh, goes too far when it comes to uh, foreign policy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason I say that is because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty small government. I think that the, the federal government uh, really should only be doing essentially foreign policy um, and trade and defense. And that's about it. Um, all yeah, domestic issues should be left up to the states. But I do think that foreign policy is something the federal government should be involved in. Um, and, you know, too many libertarians do want to kind of take the, the Tulsi Gabbard approach, which, you know, I, um, I, I respect her for her service and everything. But sometimes she talks about 
people in the military, and I should say I wasn't in the military, but I have people on in my family, my mom and my dad's side, and also my um, my mm. uh, in laws on on my my uh, my wife's mother and father uh, were both in the military as well. So I have a lot of um, military people in my, in my family, and some of them are really turned off by the way that isolationists like Trump and um, Gabbard talk about our men and women in uniform as if they're victims rather than heroes well, yeah. as if no, they're it, being yeah. forced to go you know die for oil when in reality they're volunteering to die for freedom uh and, and I, it, so I, I i don't i don't personally don't see how that could appeal to the right i do see it, however how it appeals to the alt-right and i think you're right that it would have helped to get some of that vote but probably not because honestly trump has those people wrapped around his finger no, it's it's very interesting you say that because my, my dad was in the 101st and he was actually a platoon leader in Vietnam and he and I talk a, about this a lot and it's like there were two very different opposing opinions like his opinion was literally just I want to get my guys back alive. I don't give a shit about this war. You know, he started out as a silent hawk and then went to a silent dove, but he just literally wanted to get his guys home alone and he got all 48 guys of his home or guys home alive. But you know, he didn't give a shit about the war. On the other hand, there were there were men in the military who really wanted to go fight, and they were not happy when they the war in Vietnam was called off. And that's it's interesting you bring that up because Dan Crenshaw, I don't know if you know you follow him a lot, but he, I mean, he's good friends with Tulsi, but he has that opposing view of Tulsi where you know he doesn't he believes that you know we should be in these places fighting these you know, uh, insurrectionist terrorist groups and having a firm presence because he doesn't want another 9-11 to happen. And I can't... Exactly. exactly. The way I look at it is somebody is going to be on, you know, the people who are opposing um, globalism uh, are fighting a losing losing battle. They're inevitably going to lose. We are going, like, the world is getting smaller. Technology is making it easier for us to cooperate. It's making it easier for us to trade, uh, not just goods, but also ideas, Right. Um, and somebody's going to win. Somebody is going to come out on top. And it, we used to be on top. Um, and because of the isolationist and protectionist ideology favored by both far left and all right populists, the United States is no longer on top. And that yeah. is not a good thing because that means that this um, gap is going to be filled by China, probably. Well said. And I think India is going to be next in line for that for sure. But it's you know, and it's very fascinating. You you bring up an issue that, that I've. I've found it hypocritical in the Republican Party for a while, and I don't know – I mean it's definitely changed with this populist movement, but the Republican Party w- was always like, you know, we want less government in the background. We want, you know, you know, for free markets and stuff, but we want high tariffs as well. Like we want American products to be made, and I think to myself, you know, I don't care whether you believe in American products or that we should buy American products or buy foreign products, but – that goes against your core ideology. And the same oh, Democrats yeah, no, have the reverse. The, I don't think the GOP was always like that, though. I think that's more of a more mm-hmm. recent thing um, to mm-hmm. do with the rise of Trumpism. Yeah, I think before populism, the GOP was very pro-free trade. Yeah. Um, the truth of the matter is the establishment of the Democratic and Republican Party pretty much agreed on foreign policy and trade. Um, uh, on, you know, they pretended to disagree a little bit here and there. But, you know, they, they tended to use wedge issues to divide the general public so that they wouldn't notice that both major parties um, were neoliberal on economics and neoconservative on foreign policy. And that was a wonderful time that I wish we could get back to. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fascinating. I mean, it was, well, what would you say were the big trade-offs of that? Because, it, I mean, yes, it, it was 
it definitely had its advantages. But do you could you argue that gave rise to this populist movement we're seeing in the United States now? Well, I don't know. What, I mean, it depends on what you mean by gave rise to it. If by gave rise to it, you mean um, eventually somebody came along like Donald Trump, who was willing to give the GOP base what they wanted instead of what the establishment was was feeding them. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, but, but like, would they have would most of those people have uh, voted for the Democrat if it had been a normal Republican? No, I don't think so. I mean, these are we're talking about the people who are some of the most easily manipulated people in the world. I mean, these are people who believe Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. No. Right. I mean, how much more credulous could you get than that? So I would like the GOP establishment to go back to cynically manipulating those morons so that, you know, <laughs> grownups can run the country. <laughs> you guys, you guys know that this is like is I just I just want to interject here because I'm I'm here, obviously. I'm oh, hey there. I'm hey I'm there, hearing the conversation that's happening and I'm like, this is the best fucking politics show I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> this is no, this is fun. This is we're having fun. We, this is fun. We're having oh, fun. So fucking fun. I have a, a a sound queued up in the soundboard that was just too perfect. Morty, do you know what the Bechdel test is? This is the what? For God's sake, Morty, the formula for measuring female agency in a story proposed by lesbian cartoonist Allison. What the hell are they teaching you oh, in that school? Other stuff! Then you've killed us both! Why is lesbian part of her job title? Oh, now you're progressive? What is the test? You have to tell... <laughs> Morty, Morty, two women, they both have to have names and talk to each other about something... Rick! Other than a man. Oh, Rick, listen to me. Once upon a time, my mom and my sister, listen to me! <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, like, what are they was. teaching you in school? Other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh now you're progressive. Why is lesbian part of her job title? God, that is that. I think really that encapsulates uh, so much of this energy in this weird story train of the imagination on this uh, fun, silly politics show here oh. that we're 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 whipping up. But as that was too good not to not to forcefully insert in there without permission <laughs> what well, well, we're on i i don't mean to cut off here but what what were Wait, what was, yeah what was the, the we were on something we were talking about uh what what would what, we end off on or what you <laughs> you I were talking about the rise of populism and you know yes. uh, is, is it because of our meritocratic society is letting the you know the little man fall through the cracks because you know it's just not fair to expect him to be able to pull himself up by his bootstraps you know, no. All right. You, you know, this actually gets me into something that I, I was I've been thinking about. So I I, I hate to say it because it, it has had very important benefits right back up until, you know, the, the right up and, you know, back from the uh, Washington presidency where he, you know, Washington arguably started. But I think this two party system has got to we, we've got to come up with something different. I, I would love a par- par- parliamentary system where we have, uh, you know, a, d- a diverse range of views that are represented. Because I look at this populist movement and I think of this as this is, I mean, these were Demo- working class Democrats who essentially went to the Republicans because they, I mean, they didn't think their needs were being tended to. They they didn't see an American centric uh, vision being tended to. And I also look at this rise of socialism in the United States and this rise of, you know, I, I think nationalism I'd put in a separate category, but 
I almost think it would be good for us to finally switch to a parliamentary system, but I don't know if it's possible, and I'd be curious to see, and also like an American-centric party where we care about mm. conversations like what we're having now. Like, I, I would consider the three of us in that moderate party, so to speak, but what would you think about that, Rio? If, if it's oh, possible, um, or even if you'd like it, you know. You, well, you know, <clears throat> I'm actually kind of agnostic on it. Uh, for the most part, I've been willing to back a number of democratic reforms. I've backed UBI. Um, I've backed, uh, not that that's a democratic reform per se, but the idea is that people are not struggling to feed themselves and they can pay more attention. Everyone to gets something. Yeah, everyone yeah, gets yeah. something. And, yeah. and, and, no, I get and it. All, you know, also, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, ranked choice voting, um, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Yang's democracy dollars policy. I support those uh, somewhat tentatively and somewhat agnostic about whether or not it's a good idea. Because I do believe in democracy, and I think that I have to compromise with the other side sometimes. Yeah, agreed. But, but you know, truth truth be told, I'm not so sure about it because you know, even in a parliamentary system um, where you have multiple parties, the parties have to form into coalitions in order to get over that fifty percent mark. You know, and, yeah. and so it, it it might be a little bit more dynamic than we have now. It might result in regular voters having a little bit more input in how that coalition is put together as opposed to it being more of a top-down thing. But I'm also a bit of an unapologetic elitist, and I think that maybe we need to have gatekeepers come back. You know, like, for example, I'd like to We're see... right the, here. I'd like to I'm, see the Democratic I'm Party... this group the gatekeepers. That's us now. That's <laughs> us, us three. I like that. Our, our I'd little, like to see our the Democratic... I'd like to see the Democratic group. Party yeah. at least, uh, you know, say like if you if you call yourself a socialist, you know, you're not allowed to run um, in any of our primaries. That sort of thing. And well, I think so, the GOP no, like should that. have told Trump, you know, like you can't mm. run. You just like you're not allowed to run. And if he tries to I'm run, even, <laughs> I'm even more extreme on this because uh, obviously the two party the two party system is uh, a hot steamy pile of dog shit. I my solution to this is actually I think well my imaginary solution let's be real is is pretty fucking radical which is like no 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 uh we're not doing parties anymore you're not allowed to have a party there's no more red there's no more blue everybody's gray team okay everybody's gray team and you have to compete on your fucking ideas we don't this care was- about your tribal flag you have to compete on your own merits and your own ideas, and the best ideas will win. Well, well this I, I is definitely what like that. Found, yeah, no, I mean, agreed. This is what the founding fathers, like, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, George Washington hated the idea of the party system. In fact, that's why, in a way, he started the party system inadvertently when he had Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton come and be like the representatives of, you know, the main two main i i set of beliefs that were in there because he was a true independent i mean he did not he did not believe in imperialism he believed in the rule of law and the rule of the people and that he wanted the broadest opinion base possible but in the end i mean he was not a, a party man he was he was a true independent and eventually he granted he did become a federalist but that when he brought those two people who had such opposing views into you know the representative like body that's what arguably started us down this two-party system because i mean democrats and republicans have not been around since since then but they still have been like going i mean it's still like more both parties have morphed and changed into excuse me one thing or another and i think i i would love 
had too much beer. Fuck. Excuse I, me. I love it. It's hey, our age machine is a drunk show. Oh, well, I think mo- most of the stuff we've recorded, Matthew, was exceptionally drunk and like way sloppier than this conversation. Sloppy Joe. This one's phenomenal. We have we have smart boys in the room. They're I've like just had one and a half mimosas, boys. so I'm good. <laughs> this bougie. Oh, bitch. it's happy hour Always. somewhere. <laughs> Always when I try to get Rio, he's like, "Oh, sorry, I'm like at a champagne brunch in. Oh, I'm just like front at my <laughs> did you, did you say brunch, mimosa brunch. You fucking oh. rich bitch. Uh, I love you. <laughs> oh, oh God. But, but yeah, I think I think that's a solution there. We just don't allow that. You're not allowed to publicly state, you know, like if you are like, yes, I am this party. Then we're like, okay, you are disqualified. Uh, you are the weakest link. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, <laughs> you know? no, I think this is one thing I would really like <laughs> like to see more than anything else is. I, I think one thing that would help everyone is campaign finance reform. I yeah. know you guys might have a, a opposition to taxpayer dollars going to paying for fi- you know campaign finance reform or going to someone's campaign, but I, I I've really become opposed to the lobbyists controlling the parties. It's like you know I look at particularly more than anything else foreign lobbying groups that represent countries like Israel or Saudi Arabia. Or any, you know, things that are outside China. the U.S. China. Yeah. No, exactly. I, I mean, I just, I oppose that shit hardcore. But in a way, you can't stop it because, uh, I mean, to stop it would be going against the First Amendment in a way. But it's like, I that is one big reform I think that is needed for both parties because it's like, Dollars speak louder than votes, so to speak. Yeah, that's why I like democracy dollars as a compromise there, because it's um it's a solution that's about empowering people rather than Good. taking power away from them. Unpack it that also a gives bit. the it also leaves it up to individuals to decide how they want, you know, their tax dollars to be spent rather than just like, oh, we're going to evenly distribute it between the communists and the capitalists or something like that. Well, this describe it on unpack democracy dollars. Like what what's that what's your definition there? Um, so basically, it's just this idea that everybody um, over 18 would get $100 voucher okay. oh, um, that okay, they can okay, donate okay. to any political party or candidate that they want, right? And they, mm-hmm. could, they could divide it up. They could send it all to one source. It's up to them. Um, the nice thing about that is even though it's just $100 a year per person and the actual cost of that policy is a drop in the bucket in comparison to what we spend on things like pens, Um it would have an enormous impact because it would drown out um, the money from corporate interests, including foreign yes. interests. Uh, and, you know, right. so rather than rather than what the left authoritarian left wants to do, which is to say, you're not allowed to donate money to things anymore. Andrew Yang's like, well, let them do it. But we'll also, you know, and, and also instead of doing what the authoritarian left wants to do, which is like we're going to steal money from people and then we are going to decide where that money gets spent. Yang's saying, like, let the taxpayer decide where they want their hundred dollars a year to go. Well, so uh, yeah, interesting. I've never heard that concept before. Like, I, I like that. I, I, I actually really, really like, like that. It's, um, you know, I, I think that that's, this is one of those issues where I, I think, you know, we have differing opinions of how we want to solve things, but we need, we still, or sorry, we still agree on the issues. And I think that this is like one of those examples. Cause I, I'd be interested to hear what like the far right and the far left side of that I- issue is. Cause I think that's a very reasonable, you know, 
center ground position of uh, you know money coming from the people but going to you know whoever they want so to speak yeah yeah exactly and it's it's um it's money that's coming from tax dollars so if you're a rich person you have a hundred dollars if you're a poor person you have a hundred dollars um but there's nothing to stop you from donating your own money if you want to. yes i mean frankly we actually have extremely high um um limits on actually the limits are relatively low by which i mean we have extreme like limits on what people are allowed to donate you can't donate more than like twenty five hundred dollars to i've heard that campaign that sort of thing you know and and super PACs um were in and of themselves a compromise because corporations too are not allowed to just give unlimited sums of money to corporate to um to candidates so both individuals and corporations are allowed to donate any amount they want to a super PAC, but a super PAC is not allowed to coordinate with the candidate or the party. Um, and so that, that right there already is a compromise and, and people who oppose it uh, tend to exaggerate the nature of it. But I, I do think that it's worth compromising um, a little more with people who are worried about lobbyist money and so forth. Um, but no, like the for, the far right position on it would be allow people to donate as much as they want no limitations like so if i wanted to cut a check for you know 10 million dollars to joe biden i should be allowed to do it that would be the far right position and we're not anything like that that's one right now what i would have to do is give that money to a super PAC, and the super PAC would not be allowed to coordinate with biden Mm, okay no basically it's just like i could spend money to run ads I could form a super PAC, you know, I could just buy ads on TV, which is kind of the equivalent of giving money to a super PAC that's doing the same thing. That's just saying like, you know, my dad did this actually, by the way, it's kind of a funny story. Um, he, he ran an ad for Trump um, before when Trump wasn't even running. This was back in like 2008, I think. And he ran an ad about how we need a business ban in the White House and so forth. Um, but he was actually advertising a book of his where he talks about that topic. And a lot of my friends called me up and they're like, I didn't know your dad was running for president. (laughs) 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 Well, no, he's just trying to sell a stupid book, but yeah, I mean like that's, that's free speech. You can, you can run ads convincing people to vote however that you want them to vote. That's a very different thing from donating to a campaign or to a party. There are limits on that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. No. It's very good. Actually, I didn't. I didn't actually know that. That's that's very very interesting. So that's um, yeah. I mean, let yeah. That's because it's just one of those those things where I, I think that the the power has to be with still with the people, and it's like even if the people are are dead wrong, I, I just don't like the idea of a very. Ha- I I don't like the idea of a handful of people, particularly at the top. Or at a very extreme, a part of a, a very extreme group or ideology, controlling the narrative. I mean, that, and that's really that really comes back to the idea of this podcast. It's like the outrage machine, aka, it really bitches about the overall narrative of this radical anarchist leftism that is so small and so insignificant, but so loud that they're able to affect everything. And I, I think that that's really where. I get such an issue with, you know, I hate when a small minority, whether it's people who have a lot of influence or who have no influence but can get a lot of influence, control the narrative. I think that that is illiberal and it just it goes against democracy and just the, the concept of a broad spectrum of representation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. No, I mean, um, I, I believe in full of assholes phenomenon. Yeah. Mm. They, they get to control the whole 
They get to control the whole board. One tiny handful of really loud fucking assholes gets to move the needle culturally, which we. Should I mean, just as not a accept, as a member no of the non-Jewish Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like th- those kinds of conspiracy theories are a little out there. It's not. It's not a tiny group of people controlling the whole thing. But I, I, I see your point, Matt. I, I largely agree with you. I mean, we are a democratic republic. Uh, people's votes are supposed to count. But you know, the same thing comes up in the the issue of you know because you could talk about the same thing. There, there's freedom of speech. There's freedom of the press, right? Well, there are a lot of people complain. Oh, the mainstream media. They have it in for. You know, I don't know, Bernie Sanders or they have it in for Andrew Yang or they have it in for Donald Trump. It's like, well, you know, first of all, the mainstream media is thousands and thousands of different companies. And yes, you could point out that, I don't know, like, you know, um, one like one third of the of them are like controlled by the same, you know, three companies or something like that, or the biggest third are controlled by the same three companies. But that's not the same thing as, you know, state propaganda like you get in China or Russia, right? We have a free press and there's nothing, nobody's strapping Americans down in their lazy boys and forcing them to watch Fox News all day long, right? Or MSNBC. (laughs) Like if they wanted to, they could be informed. They choose to listen to the garbage they choose to vote for the candidates who spend who 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 take money from special interests and 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 you know run ads on tv during leave it to beaver that's a choice that they make right yeah yeah no, and so yeah, they kind of are right. in charge and and they kind of you know are responsible for you know i, I think blaming all the problems in society on elites is uh it's giving a free pass to all of those people out there who don't vote who don't read. Mm. Um, and, and, and if they do vote, they just vote for the person, you know, with an R next to their name or a D next to their name or the person who could buy the most ads during, you know, their children's cartoons. Yeah. I, no, I, I, I do want to push back. I do want to push back <laughs> ever so briefly because like I, I meant ideologically in the idea verse. Okay. In the, in the sphere of ideas that are all out there, um, that's what I really meant by a small, a very, very exceptionally small yeah. group of very loud assholes controlling the narrative. They're not even organized. I'm not. Th- this is definitely not an appeal to like a tinfoil hat e type, like the lizard people are running the White House, yeah, the Illuminati, yeah, no, and I, I was, <laughs> yeah, no, and I right, no, and yeah. I was kind of going with the same thing on that. Like this is. Like you look at the the you know this woke movement that's just taken over the country. This is a very very small group of people. I mean, and I'll give you an example. Exceptionally, yeah. they say you know let's defund the police. Eighty percent of Black Americans, actually eighty one percent, excuse me, either want over sixty percent sixty percent of them want to keep the police you know levels the same. Twenty percent want to increase the the number of police. It's like that. That is not a representation of yes. Black Lives Matter is not representing those Americans. And we it's want like better police. Not yeah. no police, motherfucker. You want to live in no police land? Yeah, really? Yeah. You can go to Minneapolis. Really? For that. Go to Minneapolis for that and see how what fucking long it lasts. Fucking apocalyptic nightmare wasteland do you w- want to live in where the no police? Yeah. Of course we want this shit to stop happening. All these stories that are flooding our fucking social media feeds every time some, you know, unarmed black teenager gets shot by a cop. Of course we want that shit to stop happening. How do we do that? We get better fucking cops. Yeah, it's not like oh, get rid of all the police now. Uh, well, in, that's in a Minneapolis, answer. 
well, I'm, in get, I'm getting heated. I'm going to be myself. <laughs> I know, but in like Minneapolis, that's like, and I don't know if I we want to go down this rabbit hole right now, but like in Minneapolis, that's what's happened. It's like they have literally abolished the police, and it is. I think that Minneapolis is going to take a minimum of a decade to recover from the anarchy that's ensued there. I really believe that. And I, I think that a lot of the major cities right now are kind of fucked. Like I look at New York, I have, um, my, I, I saw my great uncle and my great aunt a few months back in, uh, Indiana and they, they have a, their son is in, lives in Connecticut. And they told me, I mean, you had properties in Connecticut. And I mean, for those of you who don't know, Connecticut is considered a shithole, the shithole of New England. Like no one likes Connecticut. It's essentially to quote Joe Rogan, a highway between Boston and New York. Okay, I mean that's like no, no, everyone in Connecticut's fucking miserable. And to emphasize that fact, there have been houses that have been in the market for like three years. Now though, people are vacating New York in droves, and those houses are getting picked up like hotcakes. It is, I mean, they are getting the fuck out of the major cities, and really just. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know there's, what else there's to say. There's a bit of that happening too, just because the cost of living in cities is going so high. Um, yeah, and it's now easier to work remotely um, than it used to be, right? So yeah, I think, I think the defund the police is part of it, but also part of it is that you know people can realize like I could still make the same amount of money and live somewhere where the cost of living is a lot lower or yeah. I could even make you know one you know two thirds of what I'm making now, but the cost of living will be one third. Um, and so I'll actually come out ahead, right? And so they're moving. What, yeah. It's an equilibrium thing. Yeah. You know, as as our as as we grow in numbers, uh, they're, 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 and it's really watching. It's really interesting watching this kind of unfold and play. People like literally moving around the country uh, as chess pieces, based off of you know political and economic uh incentives and shit it's i'm i'm just like nerding out on it from a, like a sims level of like that's really interesting how how our our how everything has just shifted in such a way that like entire demographics are changing yeah and, and on rapidly. the topic of the defend the police um yeah. Something like fifty-three percent of Black people um, actually oppose to fund the police, right? Oh, I, I, I saw a sixty. Yeah, I saw like eighty percent of it. Yeah, but like yeah, a, good, a, sorry, a majority of of the population, and 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 even a majority of Black people. Um, and the, the funny thing about it is most of the people who are calling for that aren't even really calling for totally eradicating exactly. the police. There are people who are, there are people who want to abolish the police department and those people are truly crazy. Um, yeah. but a lot of the people who are calling for defund the police really just want, you know, to like cut some of the funding and spend it on other things, yeah, which so no, that's I, a, that's a did, position that we could actually yeah. debate, but then no, agree, we get a yeah. chance to debate that because they use this ridiculous phrase to fund the police, which sounds more radical than it is i mean they just the left is really really good at losing they're experts at it no well and you know to, to i will actually reinforce that i i had a very very good conversation with an old high school friend of mine a few months back shout out to uh karina carbon um and she you know it, it was it was just so amazing because you know she is definitely part of the more you know woke leftist thing but she's very reasonable about it and it was just such a great like she's for free speech and it was just such an amazing thing to have a conversation with her. But she explained to me what defund the police means in terms of 
we want to essentially redistribute funding from the police departments to other sections of you know like life like i you know i know someone who's schizophrenic and i can tell you right now it would be good to have cops or you know specialists who are in the police force who are specifically trained to handle schizophrenic people like i see that that would be very useful in a city like la where you have a such a high you know homeless rate and a lot of the incidents are with i'm sorry to say uh, people who are schizophrenic like i can see that but what i push back against is there are certain areas that really really need still need the police and frankly need more uh, police and like yeah. i don't like this concept of demilitarizing police on some level in terms of in, and it really comes on a place by place basis but we have to remember i mean body armor and a glock 15 or 18 is not going to be enough to you know put down or you know, to like suppress gang violence like we have to be realistic about this like there's a reason that cops in the united states are as funded for the reason that they are and it's like this is where i push back against this idea it's like are you really going to have social workers working in a, a major city with gang violence? Like, you remember the whole incident with the Bloods and the Crips? The cops were overwhelmed to the point that where the FBI had to come in and, like, stop the whole goddamn thing. It's like, there's no chance that, I, like, people would want to redistribute funding to other, like, departments or other professions. Mm -hmm. I mean, that to me is, like, that's where I push against this narrative of, quote-unquote, reallocating funding or putting it to other areas it's like yeah i don't think it should be yeah, about because they want to take it away from the police they want to take yeah oh, let's take funding from that and do other stuff with it where i'm saying no the whole idea of defund the police is fucking stupid because what you really should be doing is like refund the police let's give them 10 times more money so that they can have like a social workers division and like a special yeah. they can have people on staff who like understand special needs and shit you want to you know what i'm saying you want better policing you need better police that involves more money not less you fucking cave monkey yeah no um, I, I think <laughs> i think i think that it shouldn't be about funding um i i think mm. i do think there is an issue with accountability yeah, we get though, lost because right? you know you have the the policeman's uh union right um, yeah. is is like most unions its job is to look out for the jobs of its members it's not mm. and you know it's not really it doesn't really care about whether or not it's a good cop or a bad cop or about well whether said. or not the police are even doing their jobs frankly you know what i mean where i come from yeah. if you don't do your job you get fired right but that it's very very difficult to fire a police officer because you do it and then they just go get hired someplace else, right? Or they I get rehired. We, we need to have us. We need to have a system of accountability to the people because the people are the ones who are paying for their salaries. Somebody needs to remind police officers that they work for us, not the other way around, right? No, and that, that so, I, I want, that's not a yeah. funding issue. That's a that's an accountability issue. Should and, we make them elected officials? Should we have to elect every single police officer? No, no, no I think would, that would be uh, really that would be cute. That would be a well, that would be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't recommend that. But I would say things I, I like know. if you if you if you do something okay, if you nightmare. do something on the on the job that goes against what police people are supposed to stand for, right? Then you should be warned. And then you should be fired and it should follow you. It should go on your resume. And then, you know, it's yes. like you're not entitled to a goddamn job. You shouldn't be able to go get hired again to do a job that you got fired from just because you moved, you know? To, no, you know, to the to Rio, to your 
to your point, because you, you hit the nail on the head with something, let's talk about the George Floyd incident for, for a sec. There's a lot behind that whole issue, but frankly, I think it could have been avoided well ahead of time if that if the fucker who put his knee on George Floyd's neck, I forget his name, was it? Uh, I don't know, but it's he had a lot. He had a long history of incidents in the police force, and to the point, I think he actually got kicked out a few times, at least once, and. His union covered his ass and brought him back in. And I think that that arguably was a huge issue in the fact that you can't have that like union mentality with something so important for the police. Like if the police fucking do something like kill a guy intentionally and then the, the that cop gets fired and then they get rehired. I mean that that's not or even if it just rises to the level of criminal negligence, you know? Yes. And and also, frankly, like a lot of the rioting and stuff that's going on. Yeah, of course, you know, Democratic mayors and Democratic governors have oh, some responsibility there. But frankly, so do the actual like police commissioners and stuff, too. You know, like I, I see a lot of I see a lot of cops on Twitter say things like, um, and, you know, these are bad cops giving good cops a bad name, unfortunately. So I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're all like this, but I see them saying things like, oh, well, we're going to just we're just going to stand by and let them burn down the neighborhood because that's what you get for protesting the police basically right and and right. so you see it happening like they have time to harass peaceful protesters but they don't have time to actually stop real criminality you know like it's mm. like so i i look at i look at a riot and i say why aren't the police doing their fucking jobs yeah no well this, this is one of the things uh, not not to circle back to the political parties but this is one of the things that i think really is going to hurt the democrats in the future and it it definitely hurt them this election even though they won yeah i agree they won the they won the presidency but they did not it was not a blue wave and you know i didn't want to talk referendum on trump actually what what happened was a lot of never trump conservatives voted against trump which meant for biden and then still voted for republicans in the house and the senate that's what happened that that's exactly it wasn't progressives who gave biden his victory it was never trump conservatives yes no well said and you know it's interesting because it's like I look at this election or I look at this past year and what I really learned, it's like Republicans can be selfish as fuck. I, I'm going to just say that they can be very, very selfish, but all in humans of, can. Let's right. Just... But no, no. But hear me on this. But the Democrats were very, very negligent with law and order. I think they sent a message to the American people that and I, I really want to bring up. I, I talk about this with Jenner a lot, Rio, but. The specific case of Seattle. So, did you ever hear about the Evergreen incident back in 2017, where students? Oh boy! Yeah. As, uh, oh boy! Did Did you ever hear about that? Oh like, yeah. Sorry, I answered. I thought you heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. So, students essentially, for the people who don't know, one professor, very liberal, amazing guy, Brett Weinstein, essentially. It, normally, th- this university calls out and uh, says every year they do a thing where. Black students and I think uh, you know students of color will leave the university to show the effect it has on you know them being gone from student life. In 2017, they decided to reverse it and say people who are white should leave the university and you know d- just to not know, put a nice little like swing on that. Forced to basically. It, exactly, and mm-hmm. and the, one of the professors, very liberal, very anti-racist, spoke up against this because he's Jewish and he said, "All right, this is like really." This is crossing a, a big fucking line. Mm-hmm. And complete anarchy ensued on the college campus. 
the students and it was literally anarchy where the the students took over the president of evergreen essentially told the cops to stand down and it was just like it, it was like when you don't discipline your kids it, it, the, the students had control they were holding the teachers hostage in the classrooms like I, I, there was a clip actually of the president asking to go to the bathroom and one of the students said hold it it just you know a big fucking tool likewise though i look at the riots and everyone's saying okay this is everything on you know is evergreen on this is a, an example of everything you know in terms of evergreen on steroids and i say no to that i think one however one specific example of how there was an evolution to another version of evergreen was chaz slash chop so the, you look at the mayor of seattle democrat dumb bitch i'm gonna just say it on here i don't give a fuck essentially said the police need to stand down and allow these protesters to take over the city blocks they need to yeah, abandon no, the I, I i agree i'm not i'm not saying that they're blameless either i'm but, just saying that like i think i think that w it doesn't help when police say things like oh you know we we're not going to we're going to show you what happens. You know, you say you want to defund the police. We'll show you what happens when you defund the police by basically just intentionally allowing people to do chaos, you know? No, no, and I, there, and were, I there was so yeah. much rioting happening in so many places. Um, and so in some cases, the you know, the responsibility fell more on the mayor. In some cases, it fell more on the cops. Um, and, you know, it, nobody is blameless in that scenario, including Trump, because he's yes. basically intentionally coaxing a race war in this country with his abuse of the um, bully pulpit. You know what I mean? Like when Barack Obama was president, riots would break out after a, you know, a shooting or something, right? You know, a policeman shoots a, an unarmed black man, riots would break out. Barack Obama would go on TV and say, Hey, I know you're upset. We're looking into it. If there is injustice in this case, the officer will be prosecuted. Violence and rioting is not the solution. Peaceful yes. protests are okay. Violence and rioting is not okay. And then people would calm down, right? But Trump just kind of like, he just stokes their anger. Um, and, and and I've also noticed, and this is where your point about the the, the Democrats is correct. I've noticed, uh, I'll, get, I'll use as a personal example. So I went to a, uh, um, a political conference and there was a moderate Southern Democrat speaking at this particular event. Um, and a bunch of... Um, a bunch of people who definitely were not from that woman's district did not look like or speak like people from her district um, decided, you know, they were going to do a, a protest and they, they stood up and they shouted her down for the solid hour that she was supposed to speak so that people who paid to hear her speak could not hear it. Right. Because she was being yeah. shouted down by other. But it's like because she's not woke enough for, you know, their politics in like Brooklyn or wherever. OK, because she's a Southern Democrat for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. And, and so you couldn't hear her speak at all. And, and why didn't the security come in and shut that down? Only one reason, because they're afraid of the optics of how that looks and how it's going to hurt them if they turn off the base, you know, um, in national elections. Uh, it, frankly, um, the Democratic Party needs to tell the far left, they need to tell the socialists, they need to tell the neo-Marxists explicitly, you are not welcome in our party, you are not part of our party, you don't vote anyway, frankly, all you do is <laughs> cause problems, um, so sit down and shut up. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to be a liberal party. If they were to do that, then they wouldn't be afraid of them anymore. And then they could do what they actually want to do, which is absolutely send in the police to shut that shit down. Yeah, no, that that's an interesting way to look at that because I, you know, and but 
no that that's that's a that's great uh, that that really is great and it's i do want to like just wrap up this one thought with evergreen but the so the you know the, that mayor though I, I i think you hit the nail right in the head with you know just sending a clear message that this is not what we're about but they i that seattle mayor essentially so the protesters and the rioters took over the multiple city blocks they charged people for a security fee, which is against the law. People died on those blocks in the time that Chaz and Chop were allowed. But it was essentially evergreen on steroids. And that sent a message, a few different messages. And one thing after that made the whole situation worse is when, you know, the Seattle mayor said, okay, you know, I support this. But then when they when they came and, like, paint spray painted her house or something, she then said she was against it. So, so that showed hypocrisy, but oh no, it's still hypocrisy that, because too, if Trump wasn't president, then they wouldn't have had any political motivation to tell the police to stand down, right? right if right. they were protesting a Democratic president, then they wouldn't have had a problem with it. Again, be really clear, I'm not equating peaceful protesting with rioting, right? Yes. A lot of the rioters consider violent protest, you know, and a, a form of protest, which lit. Yes, the they're the it. one. They're the one reinventing the word violence to say no. It's totally fine when we yep. do this thing that is actually a violent act, but we're doing it against an oppressor, so it's totally fine. We're just reinventing what the words violence and and racism and all those things mean. The reinvention of language. I'm good. Uh, yeah. Is, so I is, I, uh, I have to start wrapping up, guys. Mm. Uh, I've got to go for, for a, sure. Got to go for a yes. run today while there's still sun. Um, I just, it just occurred to me that during this whole conversation, we barely ever talked about Donald Trump. Um, Yeah, I would love it. Oh my God. I would love to not talk about Donald Trump all the time. I don't give a fucking shit about that fucking orange I mean, if that's the only thing that Joe Biden accomplishes, I'll consider his presidency a success if we never have a talk about that guy ever again. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think think I'm going to say one thing about Trump. I don't so Trump might leave, might be forced out, but his legacy in terms of Trumpism is not going away. I think he has set no, a new precedent no. for the Republican yep. Party, and frankly, I think that it, this really showed that both parties need to change their mindset on like not having this binary mentality and this purist mentality of if we have people who disagree with us on a few key issues that we're, you know, they're, they're just not part of the club. It's like, this is, because this is what drove so many people to vote for Trump. It's like, you look at Trump, and this was one key thing I did want to say. We had 72 million people and rising vote for Trump. That's, it's not more important that Biden won the popular, the largest number of popular votes in the history. It's more important that Trump won the second highest. Donald Trump won the second highest number in history with this election it's, it's actually yeah. quite astounding if you think if you uh, think about what yes. a terrible or job he did right. i mean really although that said his legacy yes that's part of his legacy if you look at the number of the total number of votes like they've been going up right like hillary clinton yeah. is like number five in terms of the most votes ever received for a presidential candidate yeah. right you know so if they just keep going up because the population's growing in part um, and I, and I do think that like, because Trump was such a, um, a, a dynamic figure, whether you love him or hate him, uh, it yeah. got people to wake up and pay more attention to politics. Um, so more people were involved. Um, but you know, it's partially just a matter that the numbers are ticking up regardless. Here's what Trump's legacy is going to be. He is the only president, oh, the only one who was impeached, 
never got the popular vote. His yeah. approval rating never broke 50%. And he he was a one-term president. I mean, that's yes. about as big of a loser as you could be, to be honest. Right. No, right. But I think it, it's... I think that he really helped split the country, though, in terms of whether you, like you said, love him or hate him, he was one of the dividing forces in the country. And it's like, you look at people who are, you know, treat him like he's a cult leader. They're such a small part of the, the GOP. And mm. so many more average people were just like, okay, I, like, they're not oblivious to his myriad flaws, but what they love about him is that he was not politically correct and they did not have a filter. And people are so sick of that shit to the point where they'll they'll put in a vote for him. It's like, and this is where I think I I hate putting it all on one side, but it I will say it has to start with the left reining in its crazies. I think because the right definitely needs to do this too, but the left it needs to start with the fucking left and readopting traditional liberalism because they I, I mean they drove so many people away in 2016. And frankly, they drove so many people to his side and to the Republican side. Like this was not directly a to Trump. Yes. Yeah. And this it's is like how Trump got so popular. This is why half the country's fucking red. You morons. You drove them to him. You gave they, you gave them no better option. Yeah. No. Well, and this is why uh, I think you're a part of it. You made this happen, America. I'm so frustrated with. That they don't see that they're actually fueling this fucking dumpster fire. Yeah. And and let, let's establish now. I don't think the Trump cult is going away. It's, it's going to diminish to obscurity. He's going to have, you know, a YouTube channel with Alex Jones and have a, like diehard loyalists, I think, for the rest of time. Trump will. Um, I mean, there are still people who are diehard yeah. Nixon loyalists, so... Yeah. yeah, but those people are going to diminish to obscurity and they're not going to be relevant the next round um, of politics. I hope not. Which is fantastic. I hope not. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, but, but yeah. again, like the thing is, though, I am I am very anti-populist, right? And so yeah, I'm no, just it, not, right. I'm, I'm personally not that susceptible to this argument. Like for me, Trump's, um, the fact that his economic populism, his lefty protectionism and lefty isolationism and national socialism and all that bullshit, the fact that that was part of the appeal and it wasn't just bigotry, for me, that's not a mitigating factor. That's just another, uh, you know, that's, that's as far as I'm concerned, left-wing economics is just as much of a moral failure as being a bigot is. Yeah. No, well, and also I think that really us not having conversations with each other to understand what our issues are is another big fault. And that goes on everyone because the, the left just did not understand and really the right too, but the left just didn't understand why people could vote for such a piece of shit. And yeah. it's like, they, and, and if they talk to these people, they'd understand, we know Trump's an asshole. We, we know it. But frankly, He's not nearly, I mean, he's still supporting certain things that make complete sense and that aren't like that fucking crazy. And so it, it's like, but when you demonize people, and this is one thing that the left, I've talked about dropping political correctness and identity politics, but one thing the left needs to drop heavily are these one word insults. And I've been seeing this way too fucking much to the point where it, it is just, it just shuts down every conversation and it's just like I'm talking, calling people a racist, a fascist, stupid, 
a bigot, a, a just like, you know, a xenophobe, homophobe. It's like these one word insults or these like one term. Horrible. Yeah. No, thank you. There thank you, you. It's like these drive people the fuck away. You do not win. Yeah. The left needs to recognize arguments. And I think that the right has really started to recognize this in the last five years with the right, you know, the rise of like things like the uh, swallowing the red pill or the, the Blexit or the walk away campaign. It's like, they need to recognize that you do not win an argument by shutting someone down. You win an argument by planting a seed in their head that you were correct. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna. To... I, I think I agree with you, Matt, but I'm gonna rephrase it slightly. Sure, for, sure. You know, just for clarification purposes, because mm-hmm. what I'm understanding you is, you know, through that whole explanation, you were. I was understanding when you say the left, you mean the Democratic Party, and when you say the yeah, right, yes. you mean the Republican Party. And so, if yeah, that's yeah, what you mean, I think everything you said wizard. is correct. But you know, like coming from my perspective, I don't actually want there to be a left wing party in the country. Like, insofar as it's possible, I want to be a swing voter and reward both parties for being right wing. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if you, if your goal is for the democratic party to win the vote of, you know, ex Dixiecrat lefties, um, you know, who voted for, for Trump because they want, you know, um, big brother, uncle Sam <laughs> Donald to save their jobs, you know, save, save, save our gerbs, you know, if, if that's your goal, <laughs> then yeah, that'd work. Or alternatively, mm. they could just tell all of the lefties to fuck off that this is not your party. <laughs> Um, and then what they should do is they should moderate on immigration, moderate on guns, you know, that kind of thing. Then they could start winning economically conservative people. Um, also, also moderate on issues like same sex marriage and abortion, you know, just yeah. like basically stop being authoritarian across the board. Um, mm. And if, if they do that, then they, they could they could they could win, you know, they could win and be an actual um, right wing party. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and and then I don't know if that means the Republicans become the new left, or maybe we go back to having two right wing parties again. I'd like that, but you know, like a lot of my, you know, I'm a I'm an ex Republican, currently registered Democrat, mainly to vote in yeah. the primary. Um, I'll probably go back to registering Republican now because I do want to have a role to play in making sure that Trumpism doesn't um, maintain yes. control of the party. But you know, effectively, even when I was a registered Republican. Um, I was always effectively a swing voter, you know, like if uh, whichever party nominates the more moderate person, I'm going to reward them for that. Well um, said. And, yeah. you know, like as much as we could be afraid, especially of, of uh, say, um, Harris pandering to, to, to wokeism on social issues, um, I'm very, very glad that the Democratic Party learned from the Republican Party's mistake. In, 20, oh. in 2015, Trump was able to run away with the primary because normal Republicans were divided between a wide field, right? And what the Democrats did when, when Bernie Sanders was, Bernie Sanders would be the nominee, if not for the fact that after South Carolina, all of the moderate and conservative <laughs> um, uh, 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 candidates dropped out and endorsed Biden. Right. That, that, you know, it was, that's, that's what, that's what happened. And in the end, because Yang had dropped out, I ended up voting for Biden in California and that was 100% an anti Sanders vote. So, Mm. you know, I, yes, I'm Mm. worried about the rise of the left, um, in the democratic party, but I'm also worried about the rise of the left in the Republican party. And in this case, Joe Biden, um, and his party needed to be rewarded for rejecting their own populist radical base. Yeah, no, inter- very no. I think that that's actually a very good way of putting it. I mean, I hate calling it, you know, keeping the status quo, but like that is, 
yeah, I, I, I'm very, uh, and I'm glad you, you did that. And I hope that you're, that you're successful with, I mean, I would love to see a stronger Republican party in California because California, it's like, we think California is this, you know, big, beautiful blue state, but in reality, it gets more red votes than everything, every state, but Texas. It's like y'all think of that. I'm I'm from California and I came to Arizona. I live in buttfuck middle of nowhere next to Trump's wall. I got a Walmart over here. I can see Trump's wall down there. (laughs) It's a nice little wall. It's made out of uh, fence materials. It's not a real wall, uh, but I can see that shit. And we are, this is like red area and the most reddest backwoods redneckiest bullshit that i've seen was in california was not here in arizona arizona is like there there, there are more republicans in california than there are anywhere else um in the country exactly Uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is the republican party could be competitive on the coasts if they would moderate on some of those social issues um, yes. and, you know, and moderate in both directions. Um, the Democratic Party, I think, should moderate on guns and and uh, immigration. I think the Republican Party should moderate on yes. abortion and same sex marriage. Basically, I think whichever party decides to be socially moderate and fiscally conservative would probably run away with California and New York because, I will, yes. you know, in, in California, the Republican Party is basically a third party. But the Democratic Party has dev- has um, devolved into two parties. You've got a liberal party and a socialist party and the liberal party has most of the power you know that's why you know like you see you see trump voters complaining about all those homeless people in la it's like yeah because la isn't run by socialist um style democrats it's run by liberal style democrats which means that while yes they're quote progressive on social issues on economic issues they're not about to hike taxes on the middle class so that they can give all of the homeless people free housing right they're not going to do that well, I, I do kind of want to push it against that because, I mean, you, you know the situation better than I do in, in Los Angeles. But, like, I look at Los Angeles and I frankly see that as the left being too understanding with – or, you know, leftist Democrats being too understanding of the homeless situation where to the point they don't want to lift them up as much anymore as opposed to not persecute them and not, uh, and not punish them for, you know, being – crazy or being a drug act so to speak you know you know what i mean like i they don't know yeah, they are a little too permissible but honestly like they're pushing them out like i was part of the G- okay. of downtown la um and i you know they just kept moving like skid row kept moving further and further away from my neighborhood <laughs> and that was a very conscious thing that they were doing yeah no, well i just know that a lot of people like i i just see the homeless pro- problem in la and i think that's why a lot of people have left but it's like I feel like the the politicians in LA are really ignoring a, most of the working or like not the working class, but the, most of the j- just general people who don't want to see tents, uh, the whole city become a tent city, so to speak. So I don't I don't know if that's like a failure of the economics or, or really I always thought it was a failure of the like you know again being too understanding of people's like situation but it's um well I, mean, I don't know i mean like i think if they were far lefties they would give them all free housing you know like and 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 tax people to do okay. it they're not doing that right um I, yeah I, Interesting. I, <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i think i do i think most of this and we'll 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 thunderclap it here yeah 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 no, for I, sure. I, because guys we gotta close it out this is <laughs> do you understand now why i was like <laughs> This was fun. I I, I love this. Where where, where did it go?
Oh shit! I I queued it up and it didn't work. Oh, what God? No. This is yeah, crazy. no, fuck that, Jenner. I don't want to listen to this crazy <laughs> shit. Um, the the problem here, guys, is that the world is not black and white. Uh, we learned this at the very beginning of the Wizard of Oz. Like that's that metaphor is there for a reason. <laughs> Okay, it's extremely important. The world is not fucking black and white, people. Um, we've it touched all over the map today in a glorious, like, uh, tits of the gods kind of, like, pouring wine over the, the glorious cosmic nipples kind of way. This is the, the best politics conversation I have personally heard in, like, a really good hot minute. Uh, but if there if if there's one thing that Jenner wants you to take away from the conversation is that there it, this is not none of this literally none of it is black and white and most of the problems that we're focusing in on narrowing in on here in the outrage machine and um, on moving forward is the like. We're, that's the thing that we're actually coming at. It's not the like, oh, the leftists are so bad, oh, the all right so bad. It's like, no, it's the really the fundamental problem here, the ground, the ground root level problem, is that the world is not fucking black and white, people. And the second you shove your fingers in your ears and go la la la, my side is right, uh, and don't engage. That's how shit gets this bad. This is precisely how we got here, folks. Not talking. Uh, so this is why this show, specifically this one here that you're listening to, listener, uh, this is why it's here. Because we want people to talk anyway, uh, especially about things that are uh, coming to conflict or weird gray areas. Um, Explosion of love and joy. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to roll it back to you. Let's close it the fuck out. Rio, you were phenomenal as always. Um, this was a really nice, nice big circle, um, which is actually one of my first notes here because uh, you were talking about horseshoe theory at the top. And I was like, can I? Can we just like rename that the Uroboros hypothesis where... Because it really is just like eating its own ass at this point. It's full circle, um, which is why it's beautiful and it's full spectrum and it's not black and white. Uh, this has been Shatter's uh, Magical Wisdom Insight. Matthew, to you, close it out. Bring us home, brother. Let's nail this shit to the ground. I mean, guys, thank you both. I Particularly you, Rio. I mean, this was my first, like, quote-unquote podcast hosting. And so it was... I've done a few with Jenner in the past and, and Phil. I don't know if you know Phil Ord. But um, th this was really fun. I, I really liked this one. It was just, like, good to, you know, shovel out these ideas. Because I think it's... So many people out there agree with us. But I think we've been too silent for too long in terms of just, like, really representing that there is another voice or that there's that voice out there who's willing to not be binary and it just uh it was just refreshing to have that you know what i mean yeah be non-binary kids get woke <laughs> fuck <laughs> fucking woke motherfucker <laughs> i love you guys i identify this as a duck 
I identify as a three-headed spirited penguin. Uh, oh shit. Oh man, I, uh, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you guys next time. This is fucking fantastic. My pronouns are quack. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, motherfuckers. Oh, I love it. You guys. I mean, people think awesome. people act like I'm parodying it, but at this point, it's parodying itself. There are people on Twitter who yeah. unironically say that their pronoun is star and that their gender is star. Oh, Jesus Christ! I I, I also got an invitation one time. I got an invitation Twitter's one time to real. oh Jenner Jenner, you got to hear this. I got an invitation one time to a party <laughs> for the under thirty identified, meeting people who identify as being under thirty years old. <laughs> oh. Jesus Christ! The denial of truth, uh, folks. I mean, you don't want to be ageist, right? So, like, oh, yeah, either be yeah. under thirty or you know, just say you feel like it. Uh, this was oh god so we're in aftershirt territory now but what was that white bitch in England who identified as transracial <laughs> and people are all up and down she's like no I just identify as black and well like, and the funny, the funny thing that. is the funny thing is race race is actually uh, much more of a cultural construct than biological sex is oh yeah well said like way way race is entirely a social construct if you've heard last time i checked when a woman and a man had a baby that didn't come out with a half man half woman baby it came out you know what i mean like it's one or the other usually uh you know as opposed to you know like my wife is you know not white and i am white so our kid's probably going to be you know some shade of brown somewhere in between (laughs) making babies uh making babies okay that's that's all right okay i gotta go guys uh, every everybody go pee. We're cutting the recording. Keep the window open until I collect all of your audio because I cannot miss a single second of this. This was just glorious. You got it. You got some good outtake yeah. material too. I would think also. Yeah. Oh, oh I yeah. Liked it. Agreed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. All right. Oh, by the way, Matt. Just for the record, I agree with your point about them being too permissible with the homeless. I just f- see that as a separate. You know what I mean? Like you can always yeah, go yeah, further yeah. left. At least they're not like hiking taxes and giving everybody free housing yet. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> no, and, and in California, that that free housing is not definitely not going to be fucking free. I'll tell you that. But yes, <laughs> you could get a studio apartment for one point five million dollars. Oh Jesus Christ! It's like poor California. They they fucked it so so much. Uh, yeah, noted. Mm. But anywho, I yes, no, I did. I, I do a good job, guys. Did I get do a good job? I was like, oh my god, you guys are so cute. You just need to meet and talk, and let's make a podcast. I need to squish you guys together like little Ken dolls. Who so I'm just like, I'm gonna make you kiss because you're cute. Both of you are cute and do cute stuff. Do you understand why? Do you understand why? I'm, I'm so disturbed right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm with Rio on that. Yep. <laughs> this is why. Um, intersectionality and, and white privilege. A bit. So, so I first said, well, we analyzed Marxism, we analyzed postmodernism. I suggested that postmodernism was a way for the Marxists to keep going under a new guise. I suggested that Marxism was fundamentally based on hatred rather than sympathy and, and empathy. I suggested that the corpses were the, the evidence for that. Um, I told you why I think postmodernism is fundamentally wrong.
the postmodernists have made the canonical distinctions they've made. Race, ethnicity, sexual proclivity, sexual gender identity, let's say. Those are four dimensions along which people vary. But there's a very large number of dimensions along which people vary, right? In fact, given that there's an infinite number of ways of interpreting the world, you can immediately point out that there's an infinite number of dimensions along which people vary. And so then the postmodern question is, why would you privilege some of those dimensions over the other? And I would say, well, because it sustains your bloody Marxist interpretation, that's why, but you're not going to say that because it marginalizes, right? You've marginalized that so you can ignore it. So that's one of the fun things about postmodernism. You can, you can, I have a very vulgar image in my mind, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I won't share that with you, but you can infer it. Here's some ways people differ. Intelligence, temperament, geography, historical time. You live now and not a hundred years ago. Attractiveness, that's a big, that's a big one. That's a big one. Would you, imagine you, you could, we won't, we won't go there either. Youth, you, it's, it's advantageous to be young, you've got potential. It's advantageous to be old, you've got wealth. Health, that's a good one. Sex, women have advantages, men have advantages. One has more than the other. It's not self-evident. Women live about eight years longer. They're multi-orgasmic. <clears throat> Athleticism, wealth, family structure, friendship, education. Well, then there's the classic, you know, postmodern ones, race, ethnicity, etc. Why not those other dimensions of variation? There's no evidence that they're less important. In fact, there's quite a bit of evidence that they're more important. So like, why not consider them? Then you get intersectionality. This is one of the things that's really comical, I think, because the postmodernist identity politics types actually realized this. They thought, well, okay, race and gender. Fair enough. But what if you're, what if you're a black woman? Well, that's a problem because, well, now you've got two dimensions of differentiation. What the hell are we gonna do about that? What if you're, what if you're gay and black and well then, what if you're not very bright and gay and black and female? And then what if you're ugly and not very bright and gay and black and female? And Like, you can keep playing that game. You can keep playing that game an infinite number of ways, because there's an infinite number of ways to categorize things, as the postmodernists already pointed out. And so the intersectionality theorists came along to plug the hole, but they don't know where they're going. They don't understand that the logical conclusion of intersectionality is individuality. Because there's so many different ways of categorizing people's advantages and disadvantages that if you take that all the way out to the end, you say, well, the individual is the ultimate minority. And that's exactly right. And that's exactly what the West discovered. And, you know, the intersection must still get there if you kill everyone first. So, on to white privilege. At the University of Toronto in the psychology department, the original paper on white privilege wouldn't have received a passing grade for the hypothesis part of a undergraduate honors thesis. We're not even close. There's no methodology at all. The person who wrote it, it was called White Privilege and Male Privilege. A personal account of coming to see correspondences through work in women's studies. Well, first of all, personal account, it's like, sorry, no. Um, 
This idea is the opinion of one person who wrote one paper that has absolutely no empirical backing whatsoever, which is a set of hypotheses which have never been subject to any statistical analysis. Like, if I ask you a bunch of questions, it's not obvious how many questions I'm asking you, because I could say, how tall are you? Or I could say, if you're laying on the ground, how extended would you be? It's like that, two questions? It's like, no, it's one question. It's just asked two ways. And the way you figure out if you ask someone a bunch of questions, how many questions you're asking them is by doing something called a factor analysis, which is kind of an elementary form now of social science investigation. If you make a questionnaire, you have to suggest that you do a factor analysis because you've got to find out how many questions you're asking. Because you might think it's 60, but it's probably not. It's probably five. That's the big five, by the way. Anyways, who cares about that? There's no such thing as methodology anyways. That's all part of the oppressive white male European patriarchy. So we can just not bother with that, and we can pen a few notes about how we think the world is constructed, and then we can screw up the entire political system two decades later. Okay, so here's her white privilege list, some of it. There's like 50 things. I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. If I should need to move, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can afford and in which I would want to live. That's actually a wealth thing, by the way. I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me. I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. I can turn on my television or open to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. When I'm told about our national heritage or about civilization, I am shown that people of my color made it what it is. There's 50 of those, I think, something like that. Okay. Is that white privilege or is that like majority privilege? Is the same true? You go to China, you're Chinese. Is the same true if you're Chinese? Is it majority privilege? And if it's majority privilege, is like, isn't that just part of living within your culture? So let's say you live in your culture. You're privileged as a member of that culture. Well, obviously, that's what the culture is for. That's what it's for. Why would you bother building the damn thing if it didn't accrue benefits to you? Now, you might say, well, one of the consequences is that it accrues fewer benefits to those who aren't in the culture. Yeah, but you can't immediately associate that with race. You can't just do that, say it's white privileged. There's many things it could be. It certainly could be wealth, and the intersectional people have already figured out that there's many things it could be. So, like, what the hell? Seriously, well, what's going on? Well, we let these pseudo-disciplines into the university because we're stupid and guilty, seriously. And they have no methodological requirements and plenty of power and plenty of time to produce nonsensical research and produce, like, resentful activists. And now we're bearing the fruits of that. It's not pretty. So, white privilege. Well, the other thing you might notice is that to attribute to the individuals of a community, the attributes of that community on the basis of their racial identity is called racism. racism. That's what racism is. There's no other way of defining it. It's attributing to the individual the characteristics of the group as if the group was homogenous. Now the intersectional people have already decided that's not a fair game because there's so many differences between people. But the postmodernists don't care about logical coherence because they regard logical coherence, here it comes again, as a creation of the white European male patriarchal structure that's designed to oppress the oppressed. And that's technically the case. So logical incoherence, it doesn't matter. And you could say, well, if 
out your logically incoherent ideas in the world, you're going to run face first into a brick wall. And the postmodern answer to that is, there's actually no real world. It's all interpretation. So there's no, there's no having that discussion, but the postmodernists don't care because they don't believe that discussion between people of different power groups is possible anyways. White devil, white devil, white devil. Why the fuck does the color of my skin matter, bitch? Shit. Let me just do a little, like, quick little rap sound freestyle so, like, about the fact that, like, all these motherfuckers being, like, trying to judge people by the color of the skin as opposed to the content of their character, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you fucking for serious right now? Are you really trying to put people into boxes and categories? Are you really trying to put people in a camps, motherfucker? Because I will stand here right here with a big-ass fucking sword. Increase it! What does Equin Suarja mean? White's devil. Well, tell them I'm not. I won't admit you. How do I know? He said, let me guess. White devil, white devil? Yes. You speak what you do. Tell them what I'm saying. I come in peace. Equin Suarja, Uza, Inkosozana. Exactly like Trump, mm -hmm. I would fucking kill myself. War is hell. The last thing we want is a fight. You want manji, no ma bohambi. Now I want to talk to you about The chief said. If you pass all what you do test, you do not die. Better fighter than me. Do it! Wow! 
I'm just going to hit that. There we go. So that it's running for whenever. Good to have a little bit of banter in there. So my squishy boys, my squishy boys, Matthew, Rio, coming back, coming back to process. Uh, you know, I'm going to be jumped to the left guy. I'm just like, okay, I'm introducing the, the concept. I'm going to be here in the background. I'm going to be following the conversation. I'll probably have some delightful banter, but I want most of the conversation to happen between you two because you're two of my favorite people. And there's a tremendous amount of uh, work to do in this conversation department on like, well, hey, how do we break the outrage machine and like fix the country? Uh, For sure. So, uh, yes, uh, Matthew, I would very much like you to take Ultra Point. You are the host this time, so welcome to the Outrage Machine. This is Matthew. Um, uh, our guest today <laughs> is Rio Veritineer from Moving Forward. Um, and also Jenner's here, uh, but I'm going to mute my mic out and just kind of be <laughs> omnipresent. <laughs> All right. I'm good to go we, whenever you guys are. Yeah. Uh, okay. Did we lose Rio? Rio, did you? No, I'm here. I just mute my mic when I'm not talking. Oh, That's a well, smart that, move. That, as as an editor, I tremendously appreciate. So, 
Um, uh, this is all just banter. We're not actually we're recording, but this isn't the episode yet. Uh, just wanted to get that going. So, Rio, is your last name uh, pronounced uh, Vionier? Vera Donier. Oh, Vera Donier. All right, I thought the D may have been silent. Sorry, Vera Donier. Got it. Cool. I like it. It's a good one. I like this name. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like I should be a vampire. I think. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, I want to suck your cock. <laughs> nope, tith tith. Feeding off the exploited labor of the proletariat. <laughs> oh God, we're gonna have so much fun. I'm I'm so ready. All right, we will we'll give we'll give it a couple uh, give it a couple couple count, like maybe a five count, so we can leave some dead space in the waveform, and then uh, the show is yours, Matthew. All right, here we go. Yeah.